Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Man, this is May Long Weekend. Come on, Venue Airdrie. May Long. These are hardcore people, hardcore church people is what they, let me just add that, hardcore church people is what we are here. I love you. All you other people out there enjoying the nice weather and, and God's creation and everything, this is where God is tonight. So you listen to the podcast online, you get all that, but I want you to feel a little bit bad. Actually, we're, we're glad you were able to get away with your family if you're listening to this during the week. If you're here right now, I like you more than those people, and that's amazing. No, actually, you know what? Um, for like a skeleton crew here tonight, we had load-in done and worship. We practiced. Everything was done, so I guess we know who is dragging us down. No, I'm just saying, look, you should join a dream team because when you do life together, you just spend a little more time together. This is where some, the magic happens. I just love it. When you're not coming for church for you anymore, you're coming for the person who's coming with you to church, which is kind of what this series is about. Look, if you grew up in church, what we're talking about in this series, science, suffering, and other problems with God, might be self-evident to you, but I'll bet you it wasn't your entire life. I'll bet you you grew up in church and had questions that you weren't allowed to ask, or maybe you didn't know who to talk to about it, but I do know that your neighbor who's never been to church is asking these questions right now. So how applicable this is to you kind of depends on who you think church is for. Can I hear an amen? If you think it's for people who are already coming, welcome to venue, it's no longer about you. No, 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 God's message was for the whole world. It's for the whole world. So I'm glad that you're safe and sound in heaven. That's awesome. Let's get off the couch and let's reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this series will help you answer the questions that they have because they have very legitimate concerns about, here's our sermon today, it's called The Bible. Fact or fiction? They have very legitimate concerns that the Bible is not truth. Why? Because they're taught that nothing is truth anymore. We've talked in our series about, we're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk maybe even about things like sex. I don't know, big hang-ups that people have with Christianity. Today we're talking about the truth in the Bible. Can the Bible historically be true? If it is, what are the ramifications of that? We've talked about our Canadian moment in logic and how illogical we actually are right now and how we came to believe what we believe might not be as logical as we think. It's probably just how we feel or the tuna sandwich that we had last night. Well, I believe that God is fill in the blank. How did you arrive there? And then you kind of run out of steam. Are we asking you to drink the Kool-Aid? No. And we're going to talk about that. Did the early disciples just make up? The Bible, so that they create, could create a cult? Well, there's some things you should think about. And if they were creating a cult or a religion all on their own, they did it all wrong. They got it all wrong, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, there's also a new podcast platform, if you're listening online, or maybe you don't know this, we've swapped our platform, so go into iTunes again uh, and search for Corey Cope, C-O-R-E-Y-K-O-P-E. C-O-R-E-Y is the only way to properly spell that name, Corey. Everybody else is a fake... Um, we're calling it the Corey Cope Podcast uh, that Venue Church is hosting. The reason we do that is because we're trying to reach unchurched people, and unchurched people, it's hard to reach them saying the word church because they don't go. Have you ever noticed that your neighbor would come to church maybe if you invited them because they know you, but they don't know God, but they know you, they trust you. So you come and you arrange a date with God, and then we arrange another date, and then eventually, let's do it and get baptized. All right, we have a baptism coming up too. If you need to get baptized, you're wondering, you have questions, let's talk. Come and talk to us, fill out a connect card and we'll hook you up. Um, please rate and leave a five-star review when you resubscribe. Are you subscribed to the podcast, by the way, on iTunes? Subscribe to it and get it every week. It'll come up as a reminder on your phone. So please do that and share that love from Pastor Corey. Thank you very much. Many people believe the Bible to be crazy out of date, weird, you know what I'm talking about. You're in church. Now you don't know what to do. You know if you're allowed to laugh when I say that? Mythological. Inaccurate. Untrustworthy. Unreliable. But could it be truth? What if it would stand up to great scrutiny? I want to say welcome if it's your first exposure to God or the house of God or the word of God. Welcome. If you've been in the house of God for a long time, Welcome to you as well. If you thought, secretly thought that this was all about you, this will be refreshing, <laughs> because it's not. If you aren't living in some sort of holy discomfort, perhaps you've missed the point of your existence as a Christ follower. If it's comfortable for you, I would suggest that it's maybe not the life that Jesus had in mind for you. So unchurched people are going to love me because I'm going to go after 
No, let's challenge our beliefs and let's see if our beliefs will stand up to scrutiny if we arrive to them logically or if we even care if we arrive to the truth or not. But if, is the Bible true? Could it actually be truth? 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says in his second letter to his spiritual son Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Other versions say given by inspiration of God, like God whispered in the ears of the early authors. Really? It says, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, oh, we love that, correcting, oh, another fun word, training, mm, in righteousness or in right standing with God, that's what that means, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture? Paul the apostle would say yes, all scripture. What would your life look like can I just ask everybody? If your template for living was no longer decided by either your brain or your emotions. What? No, like what if it wasn't decided by your brain and your emotions? What if there's a template that could tell you how to live and how to live so much better? What if you parented like this? What if your marriage had this template or... If maybe it, it didn't work out and our hearts go out to you, but what if your marriage had had this template? What if you took to heart God's teaching about everything in your life? Your resources, self-control, purity. What if you took it all to heart and lived like that? What if you, you forgave like the Bible tells you to? What if fathers would step up in their homes and take responsibility like they're supposed to? What would the world look like? What if we learn to obey our bosses at work? Too close? Too close. What if we had the guts to live according to a higher law that disagrees with our immediate desires sometimes? But question, and there are some questions we're going to be addressing today, is the Bible historically accurate? Is it the word of God really? Isn't it horribly out of date with our technology and our culture and how advanced that we are? Mark Clark says in The Problem of God, and if you need this book, I will get you this book. He says in The Problem of God, he's a great Canadian Christian leader who used to be an atheist. Started out as a skeptic. He says, imagine you rejected Christianity because of your shallow reading of the Bible. You never realized what the narrative itself was working to accomplish, that it was actually in agreement with your concerns. Using culturally appropriate methods what? to challenge the status quo that you simply didn't recognize. Others have rejected the Bible, he goes on to say, for similarly uninformed reasons. I know for many years that university professors taught that the Gospel of John could not be trusted because the writer says there was a place called Bethesda that has a pool, quote, by the sheep gate and that there are five roofed colonnades in John chapter 5 because archaeological work had been done in that area and there was no pool to speak of, much less a gate or roofed colonnades. Scholars argued that this was proof that the Bible could not be trusted. Swarms of students took that to heart over the next few decades and abandoned their trust in the Bible. They walked away from Christianity and died. Then in the mid-1900s, archaeologists, listen, catch this, this is what I want for you today, one, one phrase, dug a little deeper. They dug a little deeper. With their more advanced technology, they found the pool in Bethesda, the sheep gate, and the five roof colonnades, exactly as John describes he says, I've been to the site myself and have touched the colonnades. I nearly cried thinking of all the people who rejected the claims of the Bible unnecessarily. Wow. Nelson Gluck, a renowned Jewish archaeologist, says it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. So please, let's dig a little deeper. Don't walk away at the first sign of a problem. Sometimes scientific discovery catches up to what's been there all along. <laughs> Does science truly create, or does it just tell you what was created? I wonder. But let's be careful, shall we, in this series that we don't assume that we are the pinnacle of evolution in our current cultural moment. You remember when everyone used to smoke and thought it was cool and good for you? Two decades from now, people are going to look at you and be like, what an idiot, you actually thought that? Your kids are going to be like, what, you thought that in your cultural moment? How did that make sense? There was no science backing that up. Well, we just thought that, I don't know. But what if God's word itself transcends all cultures? If so, it has huge implications and demands your attention. You have to dig a little deeper and you have to find out if it's true or not. 
Another question, even if the early church accounts in the New Testament might be true, how do we know they weren't tampered with over the years? That's a legitimate question that you would have. To illustrate this, I would like some volunteers to play a little game called Telephone. I'm going to show you how easy it is from, can I have like six or seven volunteers that I already asked out in the team huddle out there to come up and volunteer and have carefully scripted your lines? Actually, I haven't carefully scripted anything here. Stand right across the stage right here. And what I'm, does everybody know how telephone is played? I'm going to stand right across the stage right here. You lovely people. Thank you so much for coming out here. Yeah, right out there. What we do is I'm going to start at one end and, and this, is, this is how quickly it's got to go. I'm going to start at one end and I'm going to whisper to Pastor Aaron. No, actually, I want her to be at the end. I'm going to whisper to Quinn over there, all right? Follow me over here. I'm going to whisper to Quinn something, and he's going to turn and very, very quickly whisper it in the ear of the person beside, and then Janice is going to whisper to Kim, going to whisper to Jen, going to whisper all the way down here, and by the time we get to the end, let's see what came out of it. (laughs) Did you know that there was no fax machines and no email back in the day? And the Bible was hand-copied down. Originally, it came from word of mouth, and let's see how accurate your word of mouth is here in our current technological era, shall we? Okay. You ready, Quinn? All right. Give Quinn a hand, would you? You just got to say something. I think it's shorter. I think it started longer than it is right now. I space something. I space something. And I quote one more time for the audience and the online audience, I space something. Um, This is what it really said and how it started. Alex the Alsatian ate 11 eclairs in the evening with an espresso. Well done, everybody. I space something. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. Very, very poorly done. I think indicative of. Okay, this is how rumors get spread in our society today, all right? Well, you have to keep in mind, as bad as that was, that you and I have questions about the accuracy of the scriptures. Is what we read now what actually was written? If we believe that it was written, whispered into the ear of the early authors by the Holy Spirit. It's a very legitimate question that if you're coming to faith, you need to answer. And if somebody you know is coming to faith, they're going to be wondering about. So let's talk about how the Bible was copied because there was no copy and pasting. Somebody had to enter it into this old computer system called manuscripts and write on them with like quill and ink. That's how they did it. Later, as time went on, original manuscripts were found and were found to be extremely accurate because do you know how the scholars used to do it? This is how serious it was. Today, we don't understand how accuracy with information because we use information to get anything that we want now. But the, the Bible scholars in the New Testament, do you know how they used to copy this, hand copy this painstakingly? They would have one scholar who would write letter for letter and tiny punctuation for tiny punctuation with two scholars watching the one scholar. Every copy was handmade. Every tiny little punctuation mark that was wrong was caught by the two scholars watching the one scholar. And every tiny punctuation that was wrong had to get initialed by all three scholars that it was wrong and here was the correct one and if not, they would throw the whole thing out. Start over. That is not the job for Pastor Corey. <laughs> if y'all get weird texts from me, it's because I'm voice to text, and I don't care if it's accurate, it just got there. And you kind of get the general idea and just fill in the gaps for me. That is how, how seriously it was copied. Punctuation mark, letter, 
by letter. How seriously and how holy of an assignment these scribes, how serious they were that what you read now would be accurately the word of God that was breathed into. Didn't you want to know something like that? Doesn't that give you great confidence that what you're reading now could actually be accurate? But we have today a very different society, and, and there's this thing called reddit.com that is the greatest gathering of atheists online, and uh, all you need is a degree wearing sweatpants and living in your mom's basement to point out inaccuracies in the Bible or historical issues with the Bible that don't line up with what you think and what you find or what Google just told you. And uh, adding fuel to the fire of this uh, here was a book written um, called Misquoting Jesus by a man named Bart Ehrman. Uh, and the whole concept of who changed the Bible and why, because what they're saying is, okay, even if that did happen, what we're reading now and what is not accurate to what was historically going on at that time, and here are all the issues that we have with it. Here are all the problems in things like punctuation and everything else. And so um, it, he, he, this man, Bart Armand, claims that there are over 400,000 errors in there, and this just added fuel to the fire of people wearing sweatpants in their mom's basement who basically don't like Christians and decided that there was all this wrong with the Bible. He says, the New Testament copies all differ from one another in many thousands of places. What he's not actually speaking about are widespread mistakes. There's only two places in the whole New Testament over two verses long that there's any dispute over at all. And Christians aren't trying to hide them, but when the original manuscripts were found, these portions weren't found in the original manuscripts. And so... Christians will tell you straight up in your Bible footnote, it'll say not found in original manuscripts. We want you to be accurate. We want you to know. Like somebody added this along the way, but it wasn't found in the original manuscript. But what he's talking about when he's saying there's 400,000 errors is that he didn't just count one error. If there was 30 copies of one error made, that counts as 30 errors. Are you starting to see the problem here? Craig Blomberg, another scholar, argues that based on Ehrman's own logic of counting a single mistake per copy and multiplying it, one could argue, and I quote, there are 1.6 million errors in the first printing of Ehrman's book. Since one counted 16 typos and there were 100,000 printed. <laughs> Compare apples to apples. There's something I need to say to very logical people, is that you think that the information that you're gathering is the right information. I know you've never thought of that before. One of the smartest people I know, I said to her one time, I'm like, oh, if, if you go to NXT, you'll find out what your personality type is. We've got any green personalities, any greenies in the room? I'm about half green. Logical, love research, love that sort of thing. Okay, I said to her one time, I'm like, oh, you're so smart. Do you know what? I said, green people are not super hard to manipulate. And she goes, what? She's never thought of herself like that. Why? Because green people all secretly think they're smarter than I am. <laughs> I know you all do. Production, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you all secretly think you're smarter because you research stuff. So, and it's not hard to manipulate a green person or a very logical person. All you have to do is feed them one little wrong piece of information onto, at the bottom of every other piece that they gather. Then the whole thing gets flawed. And she looks at me. It was Kathy. She looks at me and she says, huh? She never thought of it before. I'm like, oh, oh, greenies, listen, the devil's seen millions of you. He knows how you think. All he has to do is give you 99% truth. You'll think you're smart. And he'll throw on 1% one, 1 here and say, like he said to Eve, did God really say that? And then he'll just mess up the whole works. Listen, be careful where you're gathering information from. If you're gathering information from other atheists who already believe that there is no God, they're looking for information that backs up what they already believe. Everybody already believes something. It taints your information. So could the Bible be something that transcends that, that, that the Holy Spirit whispered into ears of people and they wrote down what they actually heard and not what they actually believed at the time? Oh, there's so much I could preach about this. Back to basics. Another question. So historically, can one trust the events written about in the New Testament? Well, it comes down to these two things called manuscription content. And here are some factors that we need to consider. Number of manuscripts available. It's a huge factor. Number of original manuscripts available. The more, the better. I shouldn't have said original, but number of manuscripts from dating from that time are available. We must consider the most trustworthy documents of the ancient world here, and uh, here's one, Aristotle's Poetics. Aristotle's Poetics, there was five copies in total. Now, five copies in total, 1,400 years after the original. Caesar's Gallic Wars about events occurring in 58 BC, but the manuscripts are from 1,000 years after Caesar. 1,000 years. 
ancient biographies of Alexander the Great, written some 400 years after he died, there are two copies in existence. And historians trust all of these as historically accurate. They absolutely do. Do you want to know how many copies of the New Testament there are? I don't mean like versions of the Bible. I mean like manuscripts, copies in existence. 25,000. That gives you some cross-checking to do. 25,000 people in a line of telephone? There is something to be said about the holiness of the task that got these copies as close to each other as they are. The disputes are not massive disputes. They're disputes in punctuation and in where the comma went in a number with a whole passage full of numbers. A human error, but it was kept to a very, 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 very tiny percentage. Here's another question. Is the New Testament, is it written too far after the events took place to be believed? Well, you just heard when these other ones were written. Is the New Testament then written after Karen Armstrong in her best-selling book, A History of God, said, and I quote, we know very little about Jesus. Really? The first full-length, she says, account of his life was St. Mark's Gospel, which was not written until about the year 70 AD, some 40 years after his death. By that time, historical facts had been overlaid with mythical elements, which expressed the meaning Jesus had acquired for his followers rather than a reliable, straightforward portrayal. Her claim is that the Gospels were written between 30 and 50 years after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and because they were written so long after, in her mind, versus all of these other historical books that they take to be truth, that 40 years is so much farther that they could make things up and we don't really know about Jesus. All we know is what we want, we were, all we know is what the original authors really wanted us to know about Jesus and things got twisted up in there. And yet, the earliest New Testament writings, were, writings by Paul were written as early as 15 to 20 years after the life of Jesus. Sir Frederick G. Kenyon, former director of the British Museum, said, and I quote, in no other case is the interval of time between the composition of the book and the date of the earliest extant manuscripts so short as that in the New Testament. It's like, let's be honest. So here's a question, and a legitimate one that you need to wrestle with if you're coming to faith or the veracity or the truth of the Bible. Wasn't the Bible written by early disciples to create their own religion? So I have a question here that some of you have probably thought about. If you were creating your own cult, how would you do it? I know somebody out there has thought of it. Don't even act like that. How would you create your own cult? Let's see, how would you create your own religion if you were going to create your own religion? There would have to be Kool-Aid. There would have to be Kool-Aid. How did the church get a bad rap for that crazy man? I don't know how that was all supposed to be connected to the church of the living God. But if the early disciples, if they were trying to create a religion that you would follow and that would sucker in all the people in their area, how would you do it? Well, first of all, the cult leaders had to have lots of wives. Don't act like you're that pure. Come on. No, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Why would they adhere to a bunch of rules that make it hard on themselves to live morally pure? They would create rules that made them extremely wealthy. They would not create a religion where they would be persecuted by the state of Rome and have to flee from city to city and put their families in danger. Would you create that kind of a religion if you were out there to make money? Would you very specifically ask for poor people, poor Christians, to give massive offerings and generosity to give to even poorer Christians over here? These people did not live in mansions. They fled from city to city. It says of some of them, the world was not worthy. They were sawn in two. They were tortured for their faith. Would you create that kind of a religion that would do that? There is no motive here. Absolutely no motive. Here's another thing that you wouldn't do. You wouldn't pick events to talk about that were massive events when there's a bunch of people from that town still alive. 
It'd be the equivalent to me saying to one of you, like, hey, Janice, you know, in 1988, do you remember when Canada declared war on the United States and dropped a bunch of nukes on Kansas? She'd be like, that never happened. Well, sure it did. You don't remember? Well, no, I'm going to create a religion where that's the main story. No, you'd pick some event three or 500 years ago, make up a bunch of crap about that and write about that. But what you wouldn't do is write a story of Jesus casting a demon out from a man into a herd of pigs and having 2,000 pigs run down and drown in, a, drown in the sea because all the people of that town are still alive. That's the whole livelihood of the town. And they would have absolutely no motive in covering up your lies for you. They'd be like, uh, that didn't happen. Why are all the names written about in the New Testament? You don't drop a bunch of people's names when their son and daughter live three doors down from you. Come on, think logically about this. How would you do it? There's no motive, for sure. There was nothing in it for them. But rumors run up against facts when the eyewitnesses can refute them, and would refute them. Paul, the apostle, says this to the Corinthian church. He says, over 500 people saw Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead. Over 500 people. And then he says, and I quote, most of whom are still alive. Many of whom died for their faith. We're not asking you to die for a system of beliefs. We're asking you to meet Jesus and do whatever he tells you to do. You mean I might die for my faith? Well, look, you're dead anyways, man. You're a walking zombie right now. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You have no connection with God anyways. You're just giving up your monopoly money for something that actually matters in the end. Don't you want your life today to matter for something? I do. Over 500 people, saw, most of whom are still alive. In Mark 15, Mark, the gospel writer writes, Simon of Cyrene was carrying the cross for Jesus. The soldiers made him carry the cross for Jesus. And that, and I quote, he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. So impacted was he, a man named Simon of Cyrene, in having to, he, he met Jesus one time in having to carry his cross to where it was planted and Jesus died. So impacted was he, he became a follower of Jesus and his sons, and he's saying, go talk to them. You know who they are. Go see if it happened. Go see if their dad was there. Ask them. Names are dropped throughout the whole New Testament. Go and ask these people. I don't know how many of the 500 were still alive all these years later, but when Paul's writing, it's earlier than the. Listen, go ask them. Ask them if what we tell, told you is true. This is the difference in Christianity. You must understand this. So here's another question. People nowadays create all sorts of falsified things to make themselves look better and gain a following. Instagram? Yeah. Heavily photoshopped. We're on Instagram. I don't put crappy pictures up on Instagram myself. Man, I wake up at four in the morning, go get a drink of water. I don't put that on there. <laughs> Trip down the stairs, my phone goes off, my face is all a wreck. I put that on Instagram. You think about the early New Testament authors and ask yourselves, if they were trying to create a following after themselves that looked where they looked like amazing people, or if Jesus had any concern in looking amazing to you rather than saving you, why does the New Testament have all these extremely embarrassing stories about everybody? <laughs> Peter's like, oh, there was this one time. <laughs> Jesus told me I was going to deny him three times, and I did it like before he died on the cross. And I, like, uh, he totally predicted it, and I still did it, because that's how dumb I am. 4 a.m., Photoshop, man. Boom, right there. No Hashtag no filter. Remember Peter another, another time? Like, these are his buddies writing these stories down. Peter another time. Hey, Peter, I heard that Jesus called you Satan one time. I did something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Jesus actually called me. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're on the devil's side when you talk to me about avoiding the cross. Get behind me, devil. What? You don't add stuff like that. Okay, okay. One of the gospel writers writes, that, like, hey, this young guy, you know, he, was, he, was, he forgot to wear a lot of clothes and he was wearing a robe and when they came for him, and that this is off script, but this actually happened. When they came for him, they grabbed his robe in the garden and then he ran away buck naked. Try to create a religion around that. Wow, you guys are 
guys are amazing. I want to be like that. <laughs> Here's another one. James and John. Millennials, I'm just going to take a hit here. Now, James and John, I'm just saying, here's what I'm saying. They asked their mom to go to bat with Jesus so that she could ask Jesus in front of the disciples if, like, hey, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? I just need to ask you a little thing for my sons. And all the disciples heard about it, and they had a junior high girl fight right there. And we're all indignant and angry and like, can you believe those guys? And they brought their, they brought their mother into this. I can't believe that. It was, I should have brought my mom, but I didn't bring my mom. And you just don't write stuff about that. Paul the Apostle says, I was the chief sinner. He's like, I used to drag moms and dads off to jail. And like orphan kids. And I was there when Stephen, a better man than I ever was, when they killed him. I was there and I was like, I'm the chief of sinners, man. If God can save me, what could he do with you? You don't write stuff like that about yourself if you're trying to create a falling because of your awesomeness. No, man. Not because of you, in spite of you. Not because of you, in spite of you. Even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the garden, he's sweating great drops of blood because, listen, because he didn't know if the cross was for him and he didn't want to get the timing wrong and he was afraid and he was... You don't do that if you're trying to look good to the human race. That looks like weakness. It says Jesus went to his hometown and tried to... and tried to do a bunch of miracles there, but he couldn't because they wouldn't honor him. So all he could do was... All he could do, Jesus, all he could do was because they wouldn't honor him. If honor is not part of your story, even Jesus can't help you. But why would he write these stories? They look like weakness. Jesus is going to come back and take his family home. I hope you're part of his family when that happens. But Mark 13 says this. Jesus says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. If Jesus cared about looking awesome to you, he wouldn't have put that there. He's saying, I always get a kick when Christians are like, I know when the rapture is. Jesus is like, I don't know when it is. Dad hasn't told me. I guess I'll go when he tells me. Don't tell me you have some private revelation that excludes that. The angels don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'll hear a trumpet. I'll get on my horse and let's go. Let's go pick up my kids. (laughs) Listen, listen, don't clean up the gospel and Photoshop it. It was written to sinners. But you will have to struggle with the weight of your sin. You'll have to feel that separation of your sin between you and God. You're going to have to do that. Don't clean the gospel up. It was written to people like us. God has chosen the weak things to shame the wise, is what the Bible says. Jesus was born in a manger, not in a palace. It's interesting that one of the foremost church leaders today, a man called Craig Rochelle, who has a giant church in the States, Life Church, he has a, a Bible app called YouVersion that you need to get and friends and people. We, we do devotions every day on this. You need to spend 15 minutes a day at least reading the Bible and reading some of these Bible plans. It'll connect you with people who want to go in the right direction with their lives and want to serve Jesus. But they were the creator of this thing. They have tens and tens of thousands of people going to church in the States. But he didn't really grow up in church like you did, if you did. some of us aren't even asking questions that complicated because when he read through the gospels he read through Matthew and he's like oh my goodness they crucified Jesus then he read through Mark and he's like he didn't know there were parallel accounts of the same story he thought oh my goodness they did it again and then he reads through Luke and he's like can he not see this coming Four different writers from different perspectives writing different stories. And God chose this man to be an amazing church leader today whose podcast we listen to, we love, affecting people's lives with the gospel, affecting millions and millions and millions of people's lives with the YouVersion Bible app. God picked him. Hmm. Human wisdom and understanding. Maybe it's better not to think you're all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> But some stories seem to disagree with each other. Well, here's what I would say. There's this thing called perspective in different stories. And Jesus, I'm sure he told these parables loads of times, but there would be a different point he's trying to bring out or a different audience he's talking to. But there's this, um, there's this one... Oh, well, here's, here's the thing, like, different perspectives. You ever seen two different traffic incident reports yeah. of the same accident? Yeah. You wouldn't know they were the same accident they were talking about sometimes, because why? She's in a car here, and he was walking down the street here. Different perspectives. Different authors written to different audiences. 
There's this place that hangs us up because we think that they're contradictions, but dig a little deeper. It says that when Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, he went out and he hung himself in the field that he had bought with the proceeds of that. It's interesting that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of one slave. One slave. One slave. And it says in one place that he hung himself, and in another place he says he fell headlong on the ground and his guts all burst out. Super gross. Walking dead, whatever. (laughs) Well, they're different, Pastor Corey. Well, are they, though? What if both of those things happened in the same story? One just wrote about one and one wrote about the other. What if he was hanged, but how are you going to get a hanged man out of a tree? You're going to go up with their ladder and wrestle them down? No, you're going to cut them down. Are they contradictions? No, dig a little deeper. When he got cut down, think about it. Will it stand up to great scrutiny? Of course it will. Of course it will. Mary in the body of Jesus. Matthew records, one angel spoke to Mary. John said two were there. It's not a contradiction. It's different emphasis. Matthew wanted to hear what the angel said. So, if I see you down the street and I just talk to you, but there was somebody with you, and I tell somebody else, hey, I was talking with Jen the other day. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't say that you were with Mary. Well, I just left that part of the story out. It wasn't important to me. Well, not that Mary's not important to me, because I do love Mary. <laughs> it's like it was what Jen said it was important to me. Mary didn't say anything, because she never says anything. I'm just like, Mary, you should say some more stuff. It's not a contradiction. <laughs> now, if it would have said that Judas died of old age in one passage and hung himself in another passage, that's a contradiction. But think about it. Here's another question. But what about the Old Testament? Why don't we follow the same rules anymore? That's a really good question. You have to understand that revelation is a progressive thing. Truth can only come to you in layers. And I know we've all seen that. You are the truth. You can't handle the truth. You are the truth. You can't handle the truth. You and I think secretly that we could handle all of God's truth. But there's this passage of scripture that God breathed into an author to write that said, tiny intellect out there, dude, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Well, you want to handle the truth. What truth? You got both legs stuck in the one pant leg this morning. What truth, what, what truth are we talking about here? You want to know how the cosmos works and how I put the universe together? Right, because you'd be able to understand that. Of course, no. No, no, it comes in, it comes in steps. What kind of arrogance would sit there and tell God, like, I can handle it all. Tell it to me all. God's like, no, you can't. It's like your two-year-old, like, give me cookies now. I want it all. I can handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You can handle boot camp for a week. No, no, no. Revelation comes in stages, and that's what the Old Testament was like. Listen, listen. Before the Old, the Old Testament was radically, when the Old Testament was written and, and uh, the Jewish people came in and God gave them laws, these were radically cultural shifting laws. You have to understand this. They seem harsh to you looking in from another culture, but you don't even know what kind of cultures they were in. I talked to you about what what kind of cultures. Like the Ammonites used to beat drums so they couldn't hear the babies that they threw on the fire. So you think that it's harsh and there were all these rules and everything, but the the treatment of women and children went way up in culture because they were property before. They were property before Moses. You don't understand how radical it was and the sacrifice of animals. How does that make sense? Because it says Jesus was the pure and spotless lamb. But what you don't know before that is that there was no covering of human sin. Your good works could never get you to heaven and never create a relationship. That's not how relationships work. You're a sinner. You're dark. God is light. And so the Old Testament sacrifices, the whole point of the sacrifices, it says in scripture that without the shedding of blood, there is no covering of your sin. So at least with the sacrificing a pure spotless lamb, could cover your sin, but in Jesus, the revelation progressed even further. He said, yeah, Moses said, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm saying if you look after a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart, and I can help you with this. And Moses couldn't help you with the other thing. So not only will I cover your sin, Jesus says, I come and I take the whole thing away and remove it as far as the east is from the west, and I don't even remember it anymore. So revelation is progressive, it's progressive, it's progressive. So does that mean that we don't preach out of the Old Testament here? No. Truth is truth is truth is truth is truth, and it's good for you. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, and it's good for you to correct you, to get you on the right path for your life. There's so much that we can learn there, but revelation is progressive. You say, what about the Ten Commandments? Well, God himself never changes. His morality never changes. His holiness never changes. And if you, stupid humankind, think that you can change it, 
Do you think you have a relationship with a real God or Frank and Jesus? Frank and Jesus is the answer there. So. But listen, listen, we have to come to God on his terms. And now that the cross has been in place, he's saying that I can actually change you from the inside out now, and that couldn't happen before. It's progressive. Aren't you glad you live now? And we have trouble now? You don't even know what it was like before. So you have to understand, Revelation is progressive. It's progressive. It's progressive. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. What about the Ten Commandments? Jesus is like, keep the Ten Commandments. God hasn't changed. What about tithing? Here's one I hear all the time. Oh my goodness. Read your dang Bible. Read it. Don't tell me about your stupid opinions about giving money. Jesus is like, yeah, you should tithe. Yeah, but I don't think, just shut up. You don't think, we don't care what you think. We care what Jesus thinks, remember? It's not a religion about you. Jesus is like, invest in me and I'll invest in you. Can you manage that? Oh, I need to understand it. Have you figured out how to save yourself yet? Because if something comes to you, you know, speak up. But for now, I'm going to go with what's been proven to millions and millions of people. Can we do that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where were you when I laid the foundations of them? Where were you? Were you there? No, but here's what we have to understand. There are some things that are cultural that if you take literally, it won't make any sense because it didn't happen in our culture. This is why some, some churches or some religions still have women wearing like little doilies and stuff on their heads because Paul says to the church, look, a woman praying with her head uncovered is dishonoring to her. He's like, don't you even understand that in your own culture? Yeah, well, you didn't understand. Well, so, so Mary is the only holy one here and the rest of you women are all a bunch of sinners. No, I don't know. It was a cultural thing. Why? Because the uncovered women were prostitutes. Don't dress like prostitutes, is what Paul was saying. Because that's what they do here. Too far? How about women speaking in church? This is a good one. Every now and again, I want to fire my mom up. I'd just be like, I don't know, mom. Do you feel that women should be allowed to speak in church? Because they, they like the... And it's kind of duck. <laughs> There's a lot of church tradition that does that. But it's church tradition. Keep in mind, it's church tradition, not really based on the scripture. But see, Paul says in one place, I don't allow women to speak in church. Who's, why, is, why, why is this? In culture, women weren't used to being in church and sitting under people's teaching. So they'd come in, they'd just be rattling off like, hey, oi, I don't get that. Can you repeat that? And there'd be a whole bunch of people in the room and all the guys are like, shut up, shut up. Listen, show respect when the word of God is being preached. You don't just get to yell stuff all the time. Paul is saying, women, be quiet when your teachers are... Speaking, just like the men. It's hard to hear when you're talking. Show respect for the word of God. Show respect for the office of God, that, with the office of the teacher. Paul also says, don't let a lot of you become teachers. We receive a heavier judgment. Everybody wants a platform, but nobody wants to pay the ticket. Right? No, no, he's saying take it in cultural context. But some churches have taken that and saying, like, women can't be speaking. Say, we couldn't do what we did in Mother's Day last week. Why? Because women are only allowed to speak to women and children. Which followed logically through means there's no godly woman in the world that I should listen to you to, to over any man. No, 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 it's not talking about that. How stupid is that, by the way? And in the early church, the names that Paul is using for some of the elders were women. Female, female. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't take our best workers, our best soldiers, and like, hey, you guys go teach women. You just teach children. Now, thank God they're teaching children, but my goodness, we could use some help too. Couldn't we, men? Yes. No, taken in cultural context, please. What about slavery? What about slavery? Paul says, slaves obey your masters. That's a good question. Don't think African slavery, though. Now, there were abuses in Rome, and of course there were. Those were also addressed in Scripture. But listen, slaves obey your masters. He was talking in a society in Rome at the current time that had 85 to 90% of people were considered slaves. So he's talking here to, like, obey your bosses at work. He's talking to doctors, he's talking to teachers, he's talking to car salesmen, he's talking to Jan he's talking to everybody, like, just obey your boss, just do what you're told, you want a paycheck, it's just wisdom. <laughs> oh, I know you still don't like that, but. What about things like multiple wives? Here's, here, here's a good question, here's a good question. Multiple wives, right? Well, in the beginning, you'll recall that it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Eve. And another Eve, and another. No, but see, in their cultural day, Adam and the patriarchs, they got it wrong. Jacob, multiple wives, multiple wives. David, Solomon. 
Why? Because it was the cultural norm. And here's where I'm going to push your button. What's the cultural norm that God didn't design? They had trouble. One woman is enough. Can I hear an amen? One woman is too much some days. It's a lot. No, they got in trouble because they didn't obey the Lord their God. And they did what was culturally acceptable. Because the culturally acceptable thing was if you could afford them, buy them. You could provide for them. I don't mean like buy them, but like there's this dowry. You can support them, and so you should support them. All of them had troubled families. It wasn't God's design. As I bring the plane in for landing today, I just want to say that we've only just addressed some issues. This, I, could, I could preach forever about this, but I want to say this, that the devil is still up to his old tricks. He knows you very well, how you think and how you feel. He's got the price that will buy you. He's got the thing that will distract you, mostly your own thoughts and your own emotions. But he does to you like he did to Eve in the beginning, and he tries to discredit the messenger, who is God, by discrediting the message. And what he'll whisper to you is what he whispered to Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say that about the tree? Did God really say that? Did God really put that person in charge of you? Did God really give you that husband? Because you could do better. Did God, really, did God really give you that pastor that you disagree with when he preaches because he preaches truth and your life is a little... Because he's not nice. Look, sometimes i got to tackle you out of the way of a train. That's nice. Thank God for his rod and his staff that comfort me. They comfort me. If you don't like correction, first of all, you're in the wrong church, you're in the wrong religion, you're just, you're just wrong. No, I love it when God corrects me because he gets my life on track and it saves the people around me too. Thank God for his correction. Thank God that he's not limited to my mind because I make him as small as my brain can handle. Oh, thank God that I can obey things I don't understand. Thank God for his grace and his mercy in my life. But the devil will just whisper, you know why? Reckon your life is not even really what the devil is trying to do. That's a byproduct. He just wants to get back at God. And if he can make you arrogant, you not being with God hurts God. And it'll just be a devil tool for the rest of your life. I don't want that for you. Don't be a tool of the devil. Don't get offended. Don't get angry. Don't leave your community. Come on, dig deep. Let's become the people that we need to become. I don't want to be somebody who hurts God in the end by walking away when I should. But here's the deal. We don't really walk away from the Bible because of historical evidence or scientific proof, do we? Aren't we just afraid of failure when we get glimpses of the holiness of God? Of the selflessness and generosity of God, of the power and kindness of God that turns us to repentance? Isn't that where we really get hung up? Don't we get hung up not because of the words on the page, but because that there's somebody bigger than you who has the nerve to say, do this and live. Isn't it God himself that we have a problem with when we question the message? But isn't that the whole point of the Bible? You can't do it. You can't. All the rules, you can't keep them all. You can't get next to God. You can't be that good. You can't be that wise. You can't be that smart. You can't be that pure. You can't be that holy. In fact, there's not much in your flesh that God needs. He just loves you anyways. Isn't the whole point of the Bible is that you can't do it? And we get hung up because we read the Bible and we think that the Bible is about us. But the Bible is about Jesus. And about the work of Jesus. And about the life of Jesus. And he is the word came, made flesh that came down and dwelt among us. Right down in our mess and our suffering and our pain and our impurity. He's the one who says, follow me. Leave that old life behind you. Follow me. Pick up your cross every day and follow me. Come on, there's a life waiting you, waiting for you in the next life. Oh, there'll be no tears then. There are going to be some tears now, but we've got to affect the world. We've got to change the world right now. But listen, it's not really the message that we have a problem with. It's God himself. And until you get to that place where you're like, God, I'm just a sinner and I really want to do better, but I can't. And I don't even, I won't. That's the problem. Is that there, I would turn my back on you. And I have. And there's enough pain that would buy me and break me. And I'm sorry, but that's on me. 
And I need the power of Jesus Christ to resurrect me and to change what I want from the inside out. I can't even do that. And this whole thing is about you, God, and I want my whole life to be about you. And you'll find this beautiful place where God uses you, not because of you, but in spite of you. Where Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm not the end product. Are you kidding me? I'm a screwed up mess, man. I got both, both legs in the same pant leg. No, no, I'm the chief of sinners, but follow me as I follow Christ. Listen, and somehow, every day, this magical work of redemption happens and consecration where you start to look a little more like Jesus when you give up your thoughts and give up your emotions and give up your evil desires to the cross and have them put under the cross of Christ. When you become more like Jesus, somehow, every day, it is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that you cannot think your way into. The true purpose of the Bible is to liberate Liberate me from myself. The great revelation is that the problem is inside of me. But salvation came from someone outside of me who's so much better. He is against all the odds making me more like him every day. Though he has to carry me most of the time and sometimes kicking and screaming. But let God be true. The scripture says, and every man a liar. But let the words of God be true. If every man has to be called a liar, so be it. But let the words of God be true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I think we've spent enough of our lives trusting ourselves with no salvation to show for it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask for... I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and do a work in our hearts and humble us. We think we're so clever and we think we're so smart. We have no salvation to show for it. We have the results that we currently have in our lives right now and we're so blind to it and so proud about them somehow. All we have is failure and reaching up to heaven to pull you down to our level, but God, you are who you are. We need you to reach down and save us. And if that's the only thing we learned today is that thank you so much, Father, for taking all the time for the Holy Scriptures so that you can show us how bad things really are. So that you can show us how great your salvation really is. But let us never assume that the Bible is written all about us. It is not about us. It is written about Jesus. We are accepted because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We are redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. There is nothing in any of this that we bring to the table, but you love us anyways. But God, let us come to your table and eat according to your rules and according to how a relationship with you actually works. And I pray that we would take our cues from heaven tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.